Welcome to the Bikepack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski, and I interview bike tourists from around the world to bring you stories of their adventures and experiences. These are people who get out there and leave the comfort zone of the typical 9 to 5 to embark on ambitious adventures and take on challenges that most people can only dream about. If you like what you hear today, please share this podcast with other bike tours you know, or anyone else you think may be interested. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at Bike Tour Adventures. In episode 32 of Bike Tour Adventures, I have a chance to talk with Ari Hugerbrug. He recently started in St. John's, Newfoundland, and will be riding approximately 55,000 kilometers over the next three years as he makes his way across Canada and then north before turning around, heading south for the next couple of years. The thing that makes Ari's adventure especially interesting is that he decided to start in winter so that he could have the full experience of riding across Canada and to test his mettle against Canadian winter. This is a true story of man versus nature. Ari, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate being here. So tell us your backstory. What is, who is Ari and um, why? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> My backstory? <laughs> uh, I'm just a guy from uh, Grimsby, Ontario. Uh, 46 years old. The last six and a half years, I was a long-haul truck driver. Not exactly, not necessarily by choice, not something I dreamed about, but uh, the career fell into my lap. It was actually a really good career, one of the hardest jobs I ever did. But uh, I've been planning this current bike ride since 2011, and the opportunity presented itself to uh, to start the bike ride, so I jumped on it. How come it took, uh, what, nine years-ish, eight, eight to nine years to, to go from planning to execution? Well, that's that's a very good question. Um, kind of when I, I give the short version, I usually say there was some U-turns, some scenic routes, some dead ends. The thing is, is you need a certain level of finances to be able to uh, to, to, to to commit to three years. You know, and that's where driving the truck came into into account. The other thing is, is I have a home in Belize that ended up being rebuilt, uh, which ended up being just a huge nightmare and headache. I should have just let the house cave in on itself. Okay. In the end, I it was like a three four year project. It ended up like well, when the project started, two weeks later, our, our Canadian dollar tanked. We used to be on par with the U.S. dollar one for one, and then all of a sudden, so we're looking we at around two thousand ten eleven now, right? Um, well, it would have been, uh, no, no, because um, it was right when I actually, because I had these house issues right when I got my license, so that was like seven years ago. I think okay. it was about seven years ago that our, our dollar kind of... Oh, yeah, 2013 it started going down. I remember I was in Malaysia yeah, and we're like, yeah. oh, so, shit. 
Yeah, so a 30% right there overnight, right two weeks after I started the project. And then just being in Belize in the jungle and third world country and this and that, the project just, it just got, I just, like I said, it just, it's, it's yeah, it, I should never, I should have just left the house cave in on itself. But I, anyways, once you're committed, then you're committed. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing was, is three years ago, I uh, this girl found me on the internet and ended up being my fiance and then, I was actually supposed to move to Arizona and then long story short in the 11th hour of the paperwork she left me which all of a sudden yeah the way I kind of explain it, it's like May 16th of last year when I woke up I was engaged when I went to bed May 16th I was no longer engaged and it was like but in the meantime you know I'd sort of got myself set up for the bike ride you know initially like and she was all for the bike ride but there was just some family issues that were mm. going to prevent that and I was kind of come into terms that the bike ride might not happen and anyways like I said discovered I was no longer engaged and it was like yeah it, it had been like nine years and it's like either you're doing this now or you're just not doing it you need yeah. to get to Belize and so for me it was a no-brainer that, uh, that, that I was going to do it now uh, but at the time I had no bike I had no gear I had no website but I was working about 80 hours a week in the truck crisscrossing America to California Okay. So basically, November 12th was literally the fastest possible way or fastest possible time to literally get on the road from May 16th. And that's okay. Florida. Yeah, your place, Riverview Farm in Belize, right? Yeah. How did you go around about ending up with a farm property and coconut plantation and stuff? I mean, that's not normal Canadian behavior, so... <laughs> Um, well, long, I did my very first trip in 1997, and um, back then I used to, uh, my well, it's still my passion, but um, my childhood hobby and passion was reptiles and amphibians. Um, I was that kid that loved catching that kind of stuff as yeah. a kid. The only difference was is unlike most people, I didn't grow up when it came to that. I just I kept the, the passion kind of stuck through my entire life. And then what happened is, is when I got, I guess when I was turned about, 1920-ish, I turned it into a business, wholesale and whatnot, and then I got into retail, I had my own store, I had employees, I got into educational reptile shows and whatnot. And your business grew pretty substantially, right? Um, yeah, like in, in, in the height of it, I had actually 13 employees at one time. So we would have, we would, there was there was a small period, at least a small period, where I would have been the largest reptile company in Ontario. Wow. Well, with them 13 employees kind of deal. But anyways, the people that actually kind of got me into the business side of that, they were actually going back and forth. And then one day I just asked them, it was literally a question out of boredom. They were just, they were filling out an invoice for me. And so I just, I literally just kind of out of boredom because I was just sort of sitting there twiddling my thumbs. I asked them what the deal was with Belize, like why they went back and forth, because at the time I was like 20, and so my life was about materialism at mm -hmm. that point. And he just, for 30 minutes, he just kind of explained what they were working on and what they do and, and, and what life is like and what the culture is like, and it, it just, it literally blew me away. I just, I couldn't believe that there was this kind of life out there, because my attitude at the time was like, why would you go on vacation for two weeks when you could buy a, a TV and a stereo and a you know, and a, and, a, and a VCR, like that's how old I am, right? So yeah, yeah. all these things that would last years, you know, instead of spending like two grand or three grand for a two-week vacation. And uh, so that was my, my my attitude. So after he just sort of explained all that, I just, my head blew, I just, I couldn't, I just, 
I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that there was a world like that out there. And I was like, what am I doing in this cold, frigid country when all that is out there? Yeah. And I just, and literally, I told him, I said, that's it. I'm moving to Belize just based on that conversation. Wow. And uh, it, it, took a, it took a few years to get myself organized. Um, but in 1997, I went for the first time. Literally, the second I got off the plane in Belize, I was completely in love with the country. It felt like home to me. I just... It was it was life changing. Just just that moment of just getting off the plane. And anyways, fast forward. Um, I initially bought the house in 2002, and I just I've got an acre and a half just on the Belize River. We're right in the middle of the community baboon sanctuary. And then about I guess it's two or three two years ago I think it is. I was able to purchase about like 40 acres around my home. Okay. The home was part of a uh, two 30-acre parcels, so 60-acre farm in Belize, mm -hmm. and uh, it was just sort of surveyed from there. And so, yeah, about two or three years ago, I was able to purchase the one 30-acre parcel plus an additional 10 acres from the other parcel. So, yeah, so I have about 40 acres. Awesome. How is Belize different than uh, some of the surrounding countries? I think they speak French in Belize too, right? No, no, no. Belize, no? that's the thing. Belize's official language is English. It used to be British Honduras. Oh, it was British. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Belize is the only English speaking, actually. I think, well, I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't think any South American countries are officially in English. Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe mm -hmm. Suriname or something like that okay. is. But as far as, as far as Central America goes, Belize is the only English speaking country. It's, uh, I guess, the, the, the main difference as far as culturally is it, it's black, not Spanish. Okay. Um, um, right, because it's mostly a lot of descendant from the slave trades back okay. from yeah. Britain, and it is very much Canadian in the sense it has a prime minister and whatnot. And they they actually, well, I mean, they, and they also have their corruption just like we do have here. And um, in fact, to uh, to raise uh, more money, they they actually implement. I think that if I'm not mistaken, they called Canada and asked for Canada's help to how to how to implement GST. Oh, so wow. Belize even has GST. So, I mean, and, and one and the other aspect, though, is as far as Belize goes, it's very secure in the sense of, you know, most Central American countries have had some kind of coup or, yeah. you know, um, genocide or, or, or whatnot. Um, Belize is, is actually very secure in that sense. Um, I think largely just, you know, from having the, the influence of, of, of Britain. So it's, it's a fairly secure country. Was it difficult to buy property there? Um, yeah, you know what? I, it's funny because obviously I have property, but because I've spent so much time down there and like I knew where it was coming from, uh, you know, um, the thing about Belize is it's not unusual for like, you know, if you were to go down there, you know, interested in buying land and you find a piece because, you know, as soon as as soon as word gets out, you're looking for land, two things happen. People come out of the woodwork like crazy, offering you land all over the place, not to mention they actually, the price generally goes up pretty quickly just being as a Canadian or yeah. American type thing. But the biggest risk there is actually is it's not unusual for locals to sell land that's not even actually theirs. Ah, yeah, I've heard of this happening. Which means a lot of you countries. go through the whole process of buy the land, transfer the money, this and that, and and then you're you're settling in on your new property, and then all of a sudden the actual owner happens to walk by, going, um, "What are you doing on my property?" And then uh, yeah, <laughs> so that's you know what I mean. So I definitely am not giving any real estate advice when it comes to Belize. Just saying but, due diligence is very yes, important, right? Yes, do definitely do your due diligence. And um, But I mean, hey, there's people that, 
you know, I'm just speaking from my own experience. I just, I just, I got very lucky that there was, you know, that there was a, a Canadian couple that, you know, have been going down there for almost 30, well, I want to think almost 30 years by mm. now. And, and they were very well connected with a, a local couple. Okay. Uh, and like I said, I've been going since 1997. So I was very connected to the land itself. Amazing. All right. So um, what previous bike touring experience do you have? So in 2011, I did a, a northern and a western Canadian mm -hmm. uh, ride, 6,500 kilometers. And I base, I went Calgary, Drumheller, back over Banff, Jasper, up to Grand Prairie, um, up to the Northwest Territories, up to Yellowknife. Oh, nice. And then backtracked, um, and then I went west through the Northwest Territories into Alaska, or sorry, into Alaska, into BC, British Columbia okay. on the Alaskan Highway, up to Watson Lake, and then from there I, I went down the Kasiar Highway, mm -hmm. and um, I went into uh, Stewart, BC, and Hyder, Alaska. And then I backtracked out of there. Hyder is the island, right? Is it? Hyder Quiet? No, no. no. Hyder is just, it, it's the most southern town that you can actually pedal or, or drive into in Alaska on the Panhandle. Oh, okay. And Stewart, BC is kind of the, the, the border town, like on, 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 the, on the, the British Columbia side. Okay. Um, but it just, yeah, you just literally drive in kind of deal. So it's, it's um, the most southern town you can drive into in Alaska. But then, because it is kind of a dead end, because you are on the panhandle, so you have to backtrack out mm -hmm, to the mm -hmm. Kasiar. Then I headed south, and then I went through the Lava National Park, or whatever that is. Um, I don't know how you pronounce it. And then you go south of that to Terrace, and then I went west to Prince Rupert, and then I took the ferry to Queen Charlotte Islands, and I did the Queen Charlotte Islands. Um, then I came back, I took the ferry back to Prince Rupert, and then I took that ferry all the way to Port Hardy, Vancouver Island, and then I kind of took the shore to, uh, I don't know, there's a ferry over around by Courtney, I think mm -hmm. it is, and then you, uh, I took the ferry to the mainland, which is known as Sunshine Coast, and I took that to Vancouver, and then Vancouver, I took the ferry to Nanaimo, and then I went to Euculet and Tofino, and then I backtracked to Nanaimo to go on the other side of the coast, because yeah. you can't just follow the coast right, so yeah, that's right. Um, I did the other side of the coast to Victoria, and then um, went back to the and went to the ferry, and then I did the Salt Spring Island, and then went then ferried to Nanaimo, and then Nanaimo to uh, Vancouver, and yeah, sixty five hundred kilometers. How long that take? Less a day. Fourteen weeks. weeks? Less a day. Wow, nice. Yeah. I mean, you really, really saw a lot there. Holy. Yeah, it had been eight years since I'd been on a bike. Um, what it was actually is I was trying to hitchhike out west, and I got stuck in northern Ontario, as you know the sort of the, the way it sort of happens yeah and I ended up having to take the Greyhound to Thunder Bay and I tried again hitchhiking and I got stuck there and so I took the Greyhound all the way to Calgary and then on my way to Calgary it's like well what am I going to do because hitchhiking is not working mm -hmm. and so I decided you know what I'm going to I'm going to buy a bike and I'm just going to see what happens I'd never bike toured it'd been eight years since I've been on a bike I actually was more into I was into the trail riding okay with with you know full suspension that was kind of my idea of fun and so I had no idea what I was I was in for and it turned out that I absolutely loved the experience um, of course and um, yeah it was sort of as I was heading south on the Kasiar was where this particular bike ride the the the, the, the idea the dream for it was born um, oh nice yeah because basically I was so that year was a pretty wet year 
Um, I was getting, I got rained on virtually every single day. I think the only day I actually got the first day I actually got out of the tent in a t-shirt, I think it was, was on Queen Charlotte Islands. Yeah, okay. you just get of out of your places, get out get out in your bikes or your swim shorts and be like, fuck it, let's yeah. go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of all the places to get out where it didn't rain on me that that morning was, was Queen Charlotte Islands, uh, you know, the, the rain capital of, of Canada, just about. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the warmest weather wasn't until I got onto Vancouver Island. Like, mm. so it was kind of crazy. So, at the same, I remember just being on the Casiar, looking around, just thinking, my goodness, this is the most beautiful, most amazing place in the entire world. And I could not imagine being anywhere else. And then it was just, you know, and I mean, while there was obviously just some challenges, but at the same time, it, it wasn't the challenges that I anticipated. I mean, because you don't know if you're going to, you know, you could get 20 minutes down the road and say, this sucks, throw your bike in the ditch and, and walk home. You know mm -hmm, what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I just loved it. And, uh, but it just, uh, I almost felt like it, there was an aspect where it did not test me to the nth degree. And so it was like, you know what would what would be the next stage? What would be the next level of testing? And right. it was like it was like a no-brainer. It's like oh, Canadian Arctic to Argentina. And so the the second that popped into my head, that became the dream. That became the goal. And for the most part, every choice, every lifestyle decision, uh, moving on from that point on was always revolving around this particular ride. Yeah. So the trucking was like, well, I could. Travel, save a lot of money, yes, make good yeah. money at the same time. Yes, yeah. The the, the trucking was literally it was because um, I had literally from a career perspective hit rock bottom. I mean, it was weird because you know having a, a business and this and that, being having a level of success, and then walking away from that and literally just having everything. Like I don't like from a career perspective, my life got flushed down the toilet, like literally. And I was literally at rock bottom, both financially and career-wise. And it's like, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I am never going, this bike ride will never, ever, mm -hmm. ever, ever happen. Mm -hmm. And basically, my attitude was for an AZ license, it was $5,000 about, and it was five weeks training. Okay. And it was basically five weeks, five grand, and it, it literally changed my life forever. It, it opened the doors to this entire ride. Um, financially, that's for sure. Amazing. All right, let's talk about your bike. What kind of bike are you using to do, to do this tour? Um, so I use a, a Mech National. Tell us about it, because not everybody will know what Mech is. Well, Mech is Mountain Equipment Co-op. Like as far as camping goes, like uh, supplies and, and whatnot, they are definitely the go-to camping company in Canada. Yeah. As far as I learned, nobody even gets close to to what Mech. You know, as far as their service and. and you know the knowledge of their staff yeah. and what you know and their guarantees so I'm, I'm a huge huge fan of Mac well it was kind of interesting because the bike that I actually fell in love with for many years that I was really humming and hawing about was the, the the surly big dummy okay when I got into Vancouver I discovered that bike and I just totally fell in love with that bike mm. but you know it is being a being a, um, a cargo bike you know, it's it's a bit of a challenge moving that bike around unless you're actually pedaling it. Yeah. And then they came out with the big fat dummy, and oh man, I totally fell in love with that. <laughs> like, man, I fell in love with that bike. And I actually did some pricing in Toronto. You know, being in, in Hamilton, Burlington area, I thought, well, Toronto would, you know, maybe there was a couple out there or whatnot, and they were like, well, we we're happy to order them, forty five hundred dollars. And I thought, man, that's a lot of money on, from a pitcher mm -hmm. kind of deal. And anyways, I, I, I was in love with that bike. And then, like I was sort of alluded to earlier, May 16th, I had no bike. I had no gear. I yeah, had no website. Yeah. 
and 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 um, I was working 80 hours a week, and I had to. So basically, from that day forward, where it became a reality that this bike ride was going to happen, and I needed to make it happen as quickly as possible. Choosing the bike actually for me was a no-brainer. Because there is a mech in Burlington, yeah. five minutes from where I was working, and literally I, I was in Oregon when all this kind of happened. So a week later, I, 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 I popped into mech, and a week later, I, uh, I still remember I bought the bike on June 5th. I, I went in, I talked to the, um, the master mechanic, mm -hmm. and I said, look, I said, I'm a long-haul truck driver. I am in Burlington maybe three hours every two weeks. I need a bike built. I'm planning to cross Canada during the winter, and you know I'm only here two weeks at a time. You know, every two weeks for maybe three hours. So I need this thing built. You help me, and he was like, "Yep, no problem." So I just dropped the money on 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 the bike because it was it was a no brainer. Nice. Because like the Mech National, for those that don't know, like in Canada, anyways, doesn't really help people outside of Canada. Yeah. But it's basically comparable to the long haul trucker. Okay, that's what I was going to ask too. I was going to ask, what is it similar to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's basically comparable to the long haul trucker, except it's two things. One is good, one is not so good. The good thing is it's a few hundred dollars cheaper, yep. from my understanding. Um, so you're getting the same bike cheaper. The only bad thing, which I really kind of sucks, is um, I believe with my fenders. The widest tire I can put on is a 37. Oh, okay. So that's long haul trucker. You can put wider tires on if that's what you want to do. And so that is probably really the only the two the two differences. One is the is is the is the national is cheaper, and two the the long haul trucker you can put wider tires because with fenders the national the the widest you can put on is 37. Okay. I have currently I have studs, and they're mm -hmm. 35s with the studs. But um, from my understanding, the widest you put it on is a 37. Okay. Yeah, I think with the trend now of going to big, bigger tires and stuff, I think that's probably one way that mech could get more competitive in that market is to get a little bit, yeah. change yeah. the frame slightly to accommodate wider tires. Yeah, I, I, I that would, I, yeah, I would. I what if you yeah. had to put 650 wheels on it or 26 inch wheels? Would that have made a difference? I do not nerd out on this stuff. I couldn't tell you. I just. Basically, what I told you is the extent that I know my bike. Oh, okay. I was explaining. I was actually had the bike tuned up here in um, in Ottawa just the other day, and the way I explained it to the guy, it's like, okay, I know how to fix a flat. I'm pretty good with that. That's good. And I, and I know how to pedal the bike, but if you're asking me anything beyond that, you're asking the wrong guy. Okay. Um, I'm really not. Um, I don't know. I I don't know how to repair a bike. I don't know how to tune up a bike. So when you get into components and this and that, um, I'm definitely the wrong person to ask. All right. Well, fingers crossed you don't break a shifting lever or a shifting cable up well, in the, the remote parts. Well, I mean, that, was, that was actually one of my issues was my gears kept freezing. Okay. I did actually have to switch to a thumb shifter in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Okay. Um, which I'm told they're kind of like bomb proof. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was one of the issues that I had with the cold was that is the shifter was the, the, my bottom gears were freezing kind of thing. But I mean, you know, like the thing is, you know, with this, you know, going back to the decision, you know, there's there's mechs all across Canada. Yeah. And so, you know what I mean? Like it just, uh, you know, and, and it, it, it did, I did customize it a little bit um, because I do not I do not and I refuse to ride a bike with drop-down handlebars. Okay. So I had Surly Moloko. 
bars. Yeah, nice. Put on. Um, someone. Well, what happened was someone told me about Jones bars. I never heard of them. Yeah. So they're I, the ones um, with the the little thing in the middle, right? It's kind of like two bars doing like a. Yeah. 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 Anyways, um, so someone had to, I because I had inquired because there was no way I was going to do the drop down handlebars, and I think one of the guys at Mech mentioned Jones bars. Mm-hmm. Never heard of them. Looked at them, looked at them up online, and then um, I posted on a bike group. Anyone knowing about these Jones bars? And everyone said they loved them and this and that. But then someone said, "Well, the Surly Maloco bars are like half price, and they're the same thing." And I was uh-huh. like, "Oh, ah." So then what happened was is uh, so I looked them up, and so I started calling all over Ontario looking for them. And it was really weird. Like I called Toronto, all the all the distributors in Toronto. I, I Everywhere, and then finally, I started going southwest with the Surly distributors, and I found a bike shop in London, Ontario. Okay, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we have we have two of them." Um, the bike shop was called Outspoken uh, Cycle, I think it is Outspoken. Yeah, Outspoken Cycle, I think, out of London. Nice and they're like, "Oh yeah, we have two of them," and uh, I was like, "Oh my goodness, sweet!" And so. Um, I made arrangements when I was coming through in the truck back from California. The guy met me on the highway because it was after hours. Mm-hmm. So anyways, yeah, so I, I swapped out the drop downs for Surly Maloco. Sweet. And I also put Surly front and rear racks, heavy duty yep. steel uh, racks on it. And then I also have, I, I have a, a K-Lite uh, Dynamo light. Okay, nice. And so I have an SP Dynamo. So the, the, wheel, was hand, the wheel was hand built for an SP Dynamo. I think it's shutter precision. If shutter I'm not. precision. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at getting a hub, a dynamo too. So it's probably in the next couple of months to build up a wheel for uh, for ultra distance riding. So. Yeah. So, anyways, I'd, so I, I put it. So yeah. So the wheel it has a the front wheel has a shutter precision dynamo hub, and then I put fenders on also, of course, and um, we we swapped out the seat because the, the the Mech National comes with a Brooks, mm-hmm. but they suggested the all-weather one, which I can't think of the, the model. Uh, Cambrium. Cambrium is the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I swapped out the all-weather the all weather, uh, Brooks out. How do you like it? It's funny because I wear the padded shorts. Me too. Which makes a huge difference, but the funny thing was is I never, like, I didn't know about these padded shorts that you wear underneath. Ah. Uh. Like, because that was the thing is, is, see, I'm the guy that, Tours in steel toe boots, kind of deal. Oh yeah, okay. You'll never, you'll never catch me in bike clothing. Yeah. You'll never ca- catch me in bike shoes. You'll never catch me in the clipless pedals. Uh, you'll never catch me in any of that. Are you okay and if I come riding with you tomorrow? I'm gonna be wearing <laughs> bike clothing. <laughs> hey, it's you know what? Uh, whatever you wear is what you wear. But I'm just for me, it's just not my style. The guy at Mech said something about uh, these bike shorts, and I was like, dude, not a chance. No He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> these are ones you wear under your clothing. And I was like, oh, now you've got my attention. And so yeah, so uh, I wear the padded shorts that go under my clothing, good. and um, along with the seat. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, and then also I I also pull a Bob trailer, which a lot of people laugh at. So yeah, I was going to ask you about your trailer. So you've got your, sorry, did the Mech National does it come with racks built on, or you had to, uh, you had to buy your own on top of that, or you just chose to upgrade? I bought the racks um, separately. Okay, got it. Um, and um, the ones that's the only thing about Mech is sometimes they're, they're you know they, sometimes their 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 inventory their their selection is a little bit uh, limited. Yeah. And um, I wanted chromely or I wanted steel racks, and so yeah, fair enough. Um, like whatever mech couldn't supply me, I went to the surly folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically it was it was surly for whatever. Fair um, enough. 
but you know, Mech was great. They they like they built the they built the whole bike. Because yeah. um, like I said I would I would only show up every two weeks for you know about an hour. We'd have a quick discussion about where they were at with the build, mm -hmm. and you know that because with Mech the the national. I think they have those gear levers on the handle or on the bars or whatever. I don't know. They had to swap yeah, yeah. them and this okay. and that. So, so there was some, you know, there's a few discussions about, you know, this or that. And, you, you know, I just said, well, whatever, whatever, whatever you recommend that's going to last the winter, we just go with that kind of deal. And, and they put it all together, literally. Oh, cool, man. And you said you're using a Bob Yak. Is it a Bob Yak, the trailer? Yeah, I guess yeah. yeah the, their 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 main the one yeah their main trailer. Yeah, yeah. How do you find it riding through the winter with basically all the weight um, and a trailer on top of that? Well, because of the winter gear, I am very heavy, mm -hmm. and the and the bike the bike is the Mech National because it is steel. It's it's a heavy bike. Yeah. Um, and then you put the steel racks on it and this and that. The bike, the trailer, and all the gear actually comes to 185 pounds. Believe it or not. Oh wow! Hey, I I just talked to a guy the other day. He said he's. Well, he's got 175, but he's that's no trailer. So he's got everything on his bike. And he wow. said, I, I might be the happiest I've, I've heard of, but I think he got him beat. But that's with the trailer. So <laughs> so the thing was, is like my first ride I did with a trailer. So I enjoyed pulling a trailer. Initially, I was thinking of not pulling a trailer initially, mm -hmm. but um, the sleeping bag for me is just the, the one I have is just so big. Literally, yeah. the trailer. The trailer is sleeping bag and tent. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, literally, that's all it is. And so I'll be looking forward to swapping the sleeping bag out with something more reasonable. Yeah, I mean, because you're it's cycling in winter too, you need a good heavy-duty four-season sleeping bag at the moment. Yep. And I think even the tent, right? Like you need a you need a four-season tent, and eventually yep. that stuff can be minimalized yep. down and uh, yep. shipped home yeah. or whatever. So yeah, with just with the winter gear, I mean, yeah, once winter's over, then I can mm -hmm. I can. I can I can lose a lot of that weight. Cool. Anyways, this, in the grand scheme of things, I had the trailer has been fine, um, though it's interesting. So I have had, and this is actually where Mech really came through. I had two issues. I, I did have an issue with the trailer. Okay. And I did have an issue with my tent. With the trailer, the, the it was just it was not manufactured properly. Um, the way the bike shop explained it to me is the locking nuts that hold in the hub and whatnot yep. were reversed. Oh, and so instead of self-tightening as you pedaled or as the wheel, they actually loosened. And what happened was is the nuts literally came out, all the ball bearings came out in the hub. Like it just, everything just... Disintegrated. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. But I discovered it my last two days of Nova Scotia. But I didn't really have a problem because basically the axle just, uh, the, you know, the wheel just turned on the axle. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really slow me down too much. So, and... The west end of Nova Scotia wasn't like I was going to get really any help anyways with something yeah. like this. And so there's a bike shop in uh, uh, just outside St. John, New Brunswick, uh, Millennium Cycle. They were amazing. They they really took care of me. Sweet. Millennium Cycle. They were just, they're just outside of St. John. They were amazing. Anyways, they basically fixed my trailer for just the, the, the replacement of the, the cost of the hub okay. type thing. And then I contacted Mech and actually Mech compensated for me for the cost of those hubs because it was obviously it was a warranty issue. The other issue I had actually my tent, I had a, a, an MSR access tent uh, for a season and I had problems with my shock cords. They would not, uh, they lost their elasticity in the coldest temperatures. So if it was like minus five or colder, I had trouble putting my poles together. I actually had to kind of jerry-rig it so that the 
because there was always this extra cord that wouldn't pull tight. Oh, weird, huh? Yeah, it was really weird because it's a four-season tent. And so, but then it was really weird because by morning, I don't know if it was from the temperatures from the inside the tent, the, the, the poles would, be, would sit fine. But anyways, I had problems with this tent and um, MSR. I, I went through three, four people. Like I, I, in Halifax, I called MS, like, well, Mech gave me some shock cord in Halifax. That's when I, I brought it to their attention. But there wasn't really anything they could do in the moment because it's not like they had extra poles. Yeah. So they gave me some extra shock cord. And then I, when I went to where I was staying, I discovered that I couldn't change out the shock cord. So I called MSR. And I had asked, I asked MSR, can you please send the stuff to uh, St. John, New Brunswick? And uh, they had to send me six new poles, and four of them they sent me the wrong ones. Oh, shit. So then I said, well, then send them to Quebec City because I'm leaving St. John in the next day or two. So send them to the Mech in Quebec City. So I get to Quebec City, and they didn't send them. So then I talked to someone else, and I said, well, send them to uh, the Mech in Montreal. So then I get to Montreal, and they didn't send them. And so then the guy at Mech said, you know what, maybe you should call our service department and uh, might get things done a little bit quicker. And so I called the Mech service department, and that guy was really good. And he said, yeah, you've done your due diligence. Um, do we have a rock-solid guarantee? We'll just switch the whole tent? Yeah, well, so actually what I did is is then I, I ordered the, the – well, I ended up – all these issues with MSR – I ended up ordering the MSR Elixir, I think it is. Okay. It's a three-season tent. Well, that's a good idea because you're just about done winter. So Exactly, exactly. So it's like I returned my $800 tent for a $400 tent. Sweet. <laughs> so I got kind of lucky there. Um, but, I mean, I, I tried to, like, yeah, I tried to make the tent work. But, the you know, but yeah, so I, I've, I've actually been able to swap out my four-season tent for a huh. three-season. It's unfortunate that you had such bad service because MSR are, like, pretty well-renowned company that that's yeah. really, really does good quality gear. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, you ran into but, problems. Yeah, but, hey, but Mac came through, so uh, kudos to Mac. Sweet. Um, All right, before we talk about the tour, what are the three favorite things you have in your bags that you would not want to be without? Um, well, a laptop for sure. <laughs> um, I need that. I need that to work. Favorite things. You know what? I don't really. It's not so much about things, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, without my tent or sleeping bag, I can't stay warm. But mm-hmm. that, I don't know if that necessarily makes it my favorite thing. I mean, maybe maybe I'll slowly. Maybe let's let's say three favorite things you could do without, but enjoy having with you. How's that sound? Like well, you. Actually, well, well, the well, the actually, well, you know where my, you know where I went with this. Okay, go for it. Is okay. So this is the weirdest thing that I've discovered on this ride is the craving for soft drink, Pepsi or Coke. Yeah, is is through the roof. No shit. Huh? Maybe you're pregnant. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, people say it's because of the sugars and trying to uh, keep up with my calories, but I cannot get enough Pepsi or Coke um, mm. type thing. I it would kill me if I couldn't get that kind of deal it's it's probably my strongest craving out of anything and everything wild um, yeah which is yeah it just sort of surprised me um like i used to enjoy my beer and i still enjoy my beer but my you know even, even if i go into tim hortons i like my medium double double yeah um yeah usually my first order go to anywhere is 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 the soft drink for mm. some reason um not sure why but it's huge craving i've noticed that too though i'm not a big soft drink drinker but like when i lived in malaysia and i'd go on massive rides with groups and we'd be you know we'd be pushing 140 kilometers in a day road biking or 200 sometimes 
I would pound the soft drinks. When we stopped for a rest stop, man, like 100 plus, which is like, it's like a fizzy isotonic thing in Malaysia. I just pound them, sometimes ginger ale, Sprite, whatever I could get. It didn't matter. Yeah. 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 Um, And I like my camera. Like, I mean, I don't have a, I I saw the camera from my first ride, but I do like taking a lot of photos. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely like my camera. And you know my laptop for blogging and my phone. I do. I do. I'm fairly active on Facebook. I do have a. I do have a bit of a following, and you know, especially from Atlanta, Canada, they're pretty passionate about uh, my ride out there. That's yeah, amazing, huh? Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of locals just got. They literally jumped on this ride. Let's jump right to that before we, and we'll jump back a bit. You were talking about the magic of the tour, so why don't we uh, go on that? Yeah, sure, sure. So you know, I don't like the winter. I don't like the cold. I'll just put that right out there straight up. <laughs> and yes, people, a lot of people think it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. And so anyways, my initial anticipation of the first six months of this ride was that every single minute of every single mile would just be a living hell. I really did not, you know, and I, that was, it was either you're strong enough or you're not. It was partially about just testing me, one, for the future, Mm -hmm. two, I was also just, you know, I mean, I was literally on the eve of this failed engagement, and that really hit me really hard. This winter part was mostly just about proving to myself, and that was about it. So in Newfoundland, you know, they, they talk about, you know, the friendly people and this and that, which yes, they are. But because the Trans Canada is your kind of your way across in the time of year, I just basically stuck to the Trans Canada and most people don't live on the Trans Canada. Now that being said, I had, a, I, had a, I had a few really nice interactions with some locals and then I get into Nova Scotia and I ended up staying with a few people that were from my past who had since relocated to Nova Scotia. Okay. They, were, they were on the east side of the causeway. And then when I got on the west side of the causeway heading towards Confederation Bridge, Prince Edward Island, I had some people that were following the ride that, you know, when they knew my route, you know, they had reached out and said, hey, when you're coming through this town, you know, there's a warm bed kind of deal. It's like, okay, cool. And then I get into PEI and then it really started to escalate. I had restaurants giving me free meals. I had people starting to give me money. Um, wow. I had I had a situation when I where I when I got into Charlottetown, I entered in. It was during this wicked windstorm. It was just wicked. I never experienced anything like this in my life. Now the first day it wasn't too bad because it was above temperature, uh, like above freezing temperatures. Mm-hmm. But then the second day, like the wind, it just it went for two days solid. And the second day, like I couldn't even leave the city. That's how bad the wind was. And uh, and, and it had gone from uh, like above freezing to like minus 17 kind of deal. And I was, it was 1030 at night. And I was about to, I was at a Tim Hortons. I was closing my laptop for the night because I was going to go to Victoria Park to set up my tent in this windstorm minus 17. I check my phone and there's this message from this lady named Irene and she's like, there's a warm bed waiting for you. And I respond, I said, it's 1030 at night. And she's like, it's waiting for you. And I'm like, where are you? And it turns out she's like two minutes away. Oh, nice. Yeah. And from that moment on, it just, it just, like, it just kept escalating these, these offers for, you know, I, yeah, it just, I had people like, cause I ended up doing a, a, a web article or well, CBC Charlottetown contacted me. They did a website article on me and then 
people started recognizing me. And then what happened was some people, actually this, um, I think this lady, she took a video of me on New Year's Eve pedaling in the summer side in the middle of a snowstorm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that sort of started getting shared. And then what happened is, is people were literally waving me down their driveway, like- As you came by? Yeah. And then I would spend the night there kind of deal. And, and so entering PEI, then I realized that I think what I want to do is I wanted to add my mileage to Atlantic Canada because I wanted to see what was going to happen with local interactions. Yeah. I was sensitive to the fact that something was going on here and I wanted to see where it would, where it would go. Mm. And so it was interesting because so in PEI, I ended up like my parents actually relocated to the East end uh, just outside of Surrey. And so that's my, I was heading there for Christmas. And so I ended up going there, but then I did the whole, I went to the east point of PEI. And then after Christmas, I went to the north and then I went to the west and then I went back to the bridge. So I did like 750 kilometers in PEI alone. Nice. Considering how small, I think it's with the island is what, 350 kilometers wide or something? Is it? I'm not even sure. That's small though. Yeah. And I did like 750 on the island. Anyways, so then I get into Nova Scotia. And I'm going to take this very obscure, isolated route that follows the Bay of Fundy. I'm going to mm-hmm. go to a place called Joggins, to Advocate, to Truro, towards Windsor, and then I'll go to Halifax. And I'm thinking, okay, there's no way that people are going to recognize me because I'm in the middle of nowhere, yeah. literally. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to find food. That's how isolated I feel like I'm going to be. Well, I get to, I go through Joggins, the lady tells me, there's, I, go, I stop in for lunch at this place in Joggins, the lady, and I tell her I'm going to advocate on my bike, and she's like, impossible, no way, not a chance, you can't make it, you won't make it. Anyways, I did make it, my gears froze, whatever, I had to push <laughs> my bike up over every hill for like 50 kilometers. Yeah. I get to advocate, and so yeah, what happened was, is my gears actually froze. I, had the, I did not have bottom six gears, and so I had to push my bike over every hill, for like 50 kilometers. Um, anyways, I get into uh, Advocate the next day. I pull up to this gas station, the late, and there's a guy there pumping gas. He said, uh, "Is this uh, is this where I get like is this the restaurant like or are there other restaurants like what's open, what's yeah. closed?" And he just goes, "So how's this compared to truck driving?" Oh wow! And I was like, um, "So this is the place, right?" And he goes, "Yeah, this is the place." And then he goes, "Oh, I've been following you for like a month or two already." He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, now that makes sense. And I tell him about my problem with the frozen gears. He's like, oh, I got some lock de-icer. Fixes my gears in like two seconds. Nice. Anyways, you know, that night I actually ended up staying there at the restaurant, gas station, grocery store to work on my computer for a few hours. They close at 8. I'm loading my bike. The guy behind the cash is like, where are you camping? I said, oh, either on one side of you or the next side so I can get breakfast in the morning. There's this lady looking at me, and she's like, um, I've been ill for the last little while, so I'm living with my mom, but my house is a mile down the road, so you can meet me there, I'll show you around, and then the place is yours. Nice. Yeah. The next morning, there's a message from a lady in Parsboro that there's a bed waiting for me there. So by the time I get to Parsboro, there's a message in Great Village that there's a bed waiting for me in Great Village. By the time I get to Great Village, there's a message in Truro that there's a bed waiting for me there. From Truro, I head to Walton, and um, there's a pub there, and I asked the lady, I said, do you mind if I camp beside the pub tonight? It's like, it's going to be minus 14 yeah. Celsius. She looks at me like I've got 10 heads, like when <laughs> I ask her. And she's like, whatever, because I said I'm on a bicycle. And then she thought I was totally crazy. Yeah. So 
I camp minus 14 Celsius. The next morning, I'm taking my camp down. She pulls up early, comes in to make me breakfast. It's a pub. They don't eat, they don't serve breakfast. Yeah. She came early to serve me breakfast. She felt so bad that I camped outside. She gave me the 20 bucks back from last night's dinner. So receptive, huh? Oh, my goodness. It just snowballed. And then, yeah, I made my way to Halifax and then Halifax to Peggy's Cove to Lunenburg to Yarmouth to Digby. And I took the ferry from Digby to uh, to St. John, New Brunswick. Um, but it just it was just I mean, there was days where like I had in Nova Scotia, I think it was Liverpool. I had a guy I like I just broke camp and I was pulling into Tim Hortons to get breakfast. This guy pulls up. He's like, you're that guy, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> he gives he gives me ten dollars. I said, are you coming in? He's like, no, no, I'm on my way to work. You know, the next so the, at the end of the day, I'm in Shelburne, Nova Scotia, and uh, I'm at the Tim Hortons there. And this lady, the place is packed. This lady yeah. comes up to me and she's like, you're that guy, aren't you? I said, yeah. She goes, I recognized you. And me and my friends, we took up a collection. Here's twenty two dollars. Okay, then, nice. then an hour later, this lady walks up to me and she says, my friends were telling me that you're biking right now and this and that, or like across Canada. I said, yeah, we talked for about 10 minutes. She's like, I'll be back in a minute. And I'm like, okay. And she just disappears. And then all of a sudden I look around, the whole Tim Hortons is completely empty, right? It's, but it's 1030 at night. And it's like, okay, I need to pack up and I need to set up my tent somewhere. And I'm like this, but this lady like just disappeared. I go out the parking lot, parking lot's empty. It's like, I don't know what this back in a minute means. So I pack up my stuff. I get back on my bike. I'm pedaling about 20 seconds down the road, and she pulls up, and she's like, my husband's checking you into the hotel down the road. Oh, wow. But that was one day. Yeah. That was the, those, three, those three items happened in a single day. But that kind of stuff happened over and over and over and over again. Wow. It was just crazy. Yeah. I've had few people say, you know, how unbelievably giving Canadians can be and just kind, oh. but... Uh, you don't always expect it to that degree, right? No, you don't no. expect it. You just expect that Canadians are polite. No. We say hi. We we say yes. sorry a lot. Yeah. No, Atlanta, Canada was just was just I just it just blew me away. Wow. It just blew me away. I couldn't believe it. How far do you ride on average? So before daylight savings, you know, sixty kilometers was I was happy with. Mm -hmm. You know, now that we're getting darker, or sorry, well, now we're staying lighter longer. I definitely want to add to that. I don't really keep a whole lot of track. To that kind of, like, because the thing is, I'm actually a very late starter. Like yeah. in the cold, I discovered I don't sleep so well, and so I found myself sleeping in like basically every day. The other thing is, is I do spend a tremendous amount of time documenting and blogging. So it is very, very, very unusual for me to be in my tent before 11:30 at night. And if I happen to be at a host or at a hostel, it's usually about 1:30 a.m. by the time I actually go to bed. So I'm actually a very late starter compared to a lot of uh, cycle tourists that I speak to. And, you know, I just get on the road when I get on the road. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, I have gotten sort of stuck in an area because the thing is, is like, so what, so what I'm getting at is when you talk about average mileage, like when I average my mileage out per province, given my down days, it's actually only about 36, 36 to, I don't know if I've gone over 40 kilometers a day average, Okay, which is kind of really bad. So what I try to do is when someone offers or this and that, whenever there's an opportunity to meet people, yeah. I just go with it. And sometimes, the, I don't want to say the problem because it's it's never a problem, but for lack of a better way of articulating it, part of the problem is is when I show up at someone's home, I have no idea what the agenda is. Yeah. I mean, I'm in Ottawa and my host in Ottawa 
two days ago, we did a road trip to Montreal. Yeah, I remember. Well, you messaged me and said, I'm in Montreal again. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he had to go to Montreal for the day, and he's my host. And it's like, and I, obviously, I don't mind, but I mean, technically, that's, I, I mean, I didn't get anything done that day because I spent it with him. Yeah. So that's the thing is, is I actually spend quite a bit of time with my hosts. And so, you know, that prevents me from getting the miles at the end of the day. Or the, mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the simplest way to put it, yeah. when I spend time with the host, that prevents me from getting down the road, which is okay. Like the experiences with the hosts are far, far greater than, than anything else I could hope yeah. for. But the reality is, is when you crunch the numbers, all of a sudden my week, my daily average is not so great. Mm -hmm. And so be it. You know what I mean? It's my time. It's my investment. So I'm happy to do it. Like, But that being said, getting into Ottawa, I did my lifetime record. I did 132 kilometers. Did you? Um, wow. on, on, my last, on my last tour, nine years earlier, so nine years younger, a fraction of the weight, my longest day was 115 kilometers. Okay. So my longest day of my life is 115. Well, three days. I'm now 46, 185 pounds, and I did 132 kilometers uh, getting into Ottawa. What was your uh, route from Montreal to Ottawa? Okay, so when I was in Montreal, and that was the other thing is, is I was in Montreal for a week, which was way, way, way longer than I had wanted. Uh, but mm -hmm. I was, I had a meeting that I was wanted to uh, take, and that got on a Friday afternoon, and that got postponed to Monday. And so I literally lost two days, which I was productive in, but I it, it had me sit in the city for two days longer yeah. than I had. I spent four days at the hostel in Montreal, and then for three days I had a host on the other side of Mount Royal. Okay. And what happened was, is I had. Um, I had another guy who wanted to take me out for smoked meat uh, when I exited Montreal. So I went over the north side of the um, airport in Montreal. Okay. Side note, um, my host here in Ottawa, when we came back into Montreal, he brought me along the south shore or south side of, of the airport, yeah. which is definitely the way to go. As far as you don't want to go the way that was probably the one area where it was not the best routing that, yeah, that I the, did. The north side's just, very industrial. Yes. But it was just mostly kind of I'm just trying to get from Montreal towards Ontario, spend some time with this other guy that wanted to take me out for, for lunch and whatnot. So we went to smoked meat Pete's. It's on the island or whatever, right by the bridges or whatever. I'm sure yeah, and so had a great couple hours there doing that. And so anyways, then I basically followed. So it's, yeah, my geography is, is so it's the Ottawa River? Yeah, it's the Ottawa River. Okay, so basically I followed the uh, Ontario side of the Ottawa River. Okay. And I got as far as, um, oh, my pronunciation is so bad when it comes, what's the R-I-G-A-U-D? Rigo. Rigo. Anyways, that was my last camping spot in Quebec was Rigo. Okay. Across Street from the Tim Hortons, uh, mm -hmm. right beside the highway. It was yeah. a miserable, horrible night. It was minus seven, which wasn't too bad, but I was right beside the highway. I actually tried to listen to podcasts to put me to sleep. I don't know if I slept a wink. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. It was what it was. So following the south shore of Ottawa River to Ottawa was yeah. 150 kilometers oh, okay. from that Tim yeah. Hortons. So you went past Hawkesbury and then all these little places. Yeah, but hold on, let me backtrack though. That, that was not the route I took because that was 150 kilometers. Ah, and that okay. was, okay, so that was my original routing. But they were calling for rain the next night. And this is like the middle of March. Yeah. I do not want to be waking up in my tent 
in the middle of March in the rain. That's right. And so basically what I did is I kind of just took a more direct as the crow flies mm -hmm. through the back roads to Ottawa, which went from 150 kilometers to the 132. Got it. In Rigaud, there is another river. I don't know what that river is, but I sort of followed that river for a little ways. And then I just kind of took them, you know, just common sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see it. As the crow flies route. Yeah, towards um, Van Cleet Hill and then through all these little yes. villages. and Yeah, and yeah. it's actually kind of funny because I ended up somehow, I ended up on a gravel road. Uh, which was like, oh crap. Last time I got on a gravel road, it ended up being a dead end road. Okay. And I was a little bit scared, but I was sort of, it was, it was a pretty well kept gravel road. Mm -hmm. But then what happened was, is, is it teed and, uh, I wanted to go right and the road right was closed. Ah. And it's like, but I could see the, I could see a house on the other side. And anyways, I followed that. And what it was is there was a, there was about a, I don't know, 100, 200 foot section of road that was flooded. I don't know if you saw that photo, but I put on, uh, I put on grocery bags on my boots and because I didn't know. I, I didn't, didn't know see how, it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I came across, a, I don't know, 100, 200 feet of road that was just flooded. Okay. And so I, yeah, I put on some grocery bags over my boots because I didn't know if it would get soft or if I'd have to, you know, get stuck halfway. Anyways, yeah. So I was going to take that south shore um, initially, but... 150 kilometers rain that night. It's like, you know what? Yeah. I just want to, as the crow flies, this, this is about avoiding the rain. Yeah, and you made it to Ottawa Thursday night, right? So that was, yes. uh, yeah, talking about winter riding, because I think this might interest a lot of people as well. Um, there's yeah. always the possibilities that they, they decide to, to go for that next adventure. What kind of clothing do you wear to be protected from the elements? Now, I know you said you don't wear traditional bike clothes, but what are yep. you wearing? Well, it's funny because I've had... A few people tell me I'm wearing completely the wrong clothing, and I probably am. I mean, I do wear base layers, and actually, I got a lot of my base layers from a company called Wiggies, W-I-G-G-Y-S.com. Mm -hmm. They're out of Grand Junction, Colorado. It's actually where I got my sleeping bag. Okay. And they look like they kind of specialize in winter gear, and so I ended up getting my base layers. And what's interesting about the base layers is they're kind of a fishnet um, type clothing. Okay. Honestly, it looks like I'm wearing some kind of exotic nightclub type clothing, <laughs> but I think they've been really helpful because I think with the fishnet, it helps keep the shirt or whatever my pants, it, it helps keep like when, when it pulls that moisture away from you, yeah. there's still obviously that moisture. And so I think the fishnet has been kind of the secret because it creates a barrier. So the wet cloth, cause obviously the clothing is going to be wet for yeah. a period of time. So I think it helps keep that wet clothing off my skin. And so this, yeah, this fishnet uh, base layer has, has been really quite interesting. I mean, Maybe similar to like a wetsuit. It keeps like, you have that little air gap, which then warms up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's like I'm wearing a hoodie. So it's like I wear a hoodie. So sorry, I have, I have the fishnet, then I have like kind of a, a quick dry shirt. Then I have my hoodie and then I have this Gore-Tex jacket. And I mean, I've had people tell me, it's like you're wearing the wrong stuff for this kind of stuff. Anyways, yeah, I, I, I'm sure I am. It just worked. Like, this is the other thing. This, so this is the other thing is, and I'm always the first to admit this, we've had an extremely mild winter. Mm -hmm. um, extremely mild. I, I have been extremely, extremely lucky. One year ago, it would have been a different bike tour completely. Potentially, yes. Potentially, yes. So anyways, the point is, is like, when it comes to my clothing, I don't feel that I've really done anything special. I've mostly just got lucky. I mean, for the most part, I've been fairly comfortable, like, I guess. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, it just it's just that you just use the base layer system and, and layering, of course. So, I mean, I guess that's base layers. What are you wearing for gloves or boots? You said because of Newfoundland being so wet, I ended up buying a bunch of extra pair of gloves out there, but I haven't really had to worry about them too much because for the most part, I've been quite lucky. I've been able to generally stay fairly dry with my riding. Mm-hmm. My favorite gloves are just those, those fingerless mitts. Um, oh, I put yeah? on a, I put it, well, the reason, cause see, I like to take a lot of photos, mm-hmm. um, which means I got to take my camera out a ton of t- a million times. I got to turn the camera on. I got to focus it. What I do is I put on a pair of thin gloves, those really thin skin type gloves. And then I put then I put with those fingerless mitts on and then that way I just pull off that, that mitt part. Yeah. Got it. And then that way I can take a lot of photos. The problem with those waterproof gloves and I do have them. And I guess fortunately I haven't had to really use them. The fortunate part of those those like waterproof gloves, the pro- I don't know whatever it is that material they use inside the glove. But if your hands are even just a little bit damp, it's impossible to get your fingers into those things. Yeah, they it's like that thinsulate whatever stuff, and it just yeah, sticks, right? Yeah, it's impossible. So it's like I have two pairs of each. I have a pair of like waterproof gloves. Actually, one of those are the one <clears throat> one pair of those lobster claw gloves. Before continuing on with the podcast, I just want to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventures sponsors. Bike Tour Adventures is proudly sponsored by Redshift Sports. Founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists, they've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat posts paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Use the checkout code BTA15 on their website to save 15%. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as a main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used their race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Use the checkout code BTAPOD10 to save 10% at checkout. Lastly, named after the animal that roams the Tibetan plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Mangin in 2009. After noticing the lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. Thanks, and back to the podcast. Um, and then I have, and then I have two pairs of the, the those those fingerless mitts. Or have you seen those like handlebar mitts that you can stick your hands yep. into? Actually, I, I, I have actually a pair of bar mitts. And once again, like that's the thing is like, I mean, getting back to just how lucky I've been with this winter, a lot of my winter gear, I mean, other than the obvious, I have not had to use mm-hmm. or very often. So I do have bar mitts. I have only used them once or twice in the winter. Okay. Actually, where they became very handy and where I, and the thing is, is I know I am actually going to use them moving forward. Strangely, now that winter is pretty much over, where those bar mitts are super handy for me anyways that I noticed in Newfoundland is when it's raining, because it's obviously coming spring, whether mm-hmm. I like it or not, I am going to get stuck in a certain amount of rain. Yeah. At this time of year, that's about the worst. Like I'll take minus 10, minus 12 over you know, three degrees in rain any day mm-hmm. um, because that rain is going to be like super killer. Yeah. But I did notice in Newfoundland, I put those bar mitts on in the middle of a rain. It was like 30, 40 kilometers to a, a restaurant to in order to get dry. So I was like, I was camped under a gazebo and it was 40 kilometers to a restaurant. So I figured all I got to do is do 40 kilometers through the rain 
and I've got a dry place. So I thought I'll put those bar mitts on and just see if that helps. And you know, of course, as soon as I started pedaling, the rain hit, and um, those bar mitts actually kept my hands really, really warm uh, going through the rain. I find them hilarious because, like, with the advent of fat biking, out comes these bar mitts. But yeah. uh, 2008, I lived in Korea and. I had them on my motorbike in the winter. Everybody in Korea has them on their motorbikes and scooters okay. and stuff in the winter because yeah, yeah. they don't have so much snow most winters where you can ride almost all winter long with yeah. proper protection. And I was like, to me, they were always this like Asian motorcycle thing. And then all of a sudden fat okay. bikes come around and I see people with them and I'm like, Asia beat you to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I anticipate using them uh, moving forward when the rain hits yeah. um, because like I said, because yeah, when, when, once you know when your gloves get wet, then your 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 hands, your fingers are going to get cold pretty mm -hmm. quickly. And if you're just pedaling in the middle of nowhere, like good luck drying your hands out. Yeah. What's been the coldest temperature you've ridden in? You know what, ridden in actually. Well, the coldest night I spent was in New Brunswick, was minus twenty four. Oh, jeez. Celsius. Yeah. That was that was the coldest night in the tent, minus twenty four Celsius. But as far as ridden in, that's a good question. Well. You know, I, it's, it has to be comparable. It has mm. to be about, I, I'm guessing about, about the same. I don't know if it's any been colder than that. See, sometimes wind chill is hard to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I definitely, I definitely hit some cold uh, wind chill for sure. Do you have ski goggles with you? Yes, I do. You know what? I never, like, because I don't do winter sports. I've mm -hmm. never, like, I mean, I haven't skied in 30 years. Yeah. So I've never owned a pair of ski goggles. I bought a pair of ski goggles for this ride, and I barely used them until like two months ago. Okay. And all of a sudden, I thought, you know what? I bought these stupid things. I've been carrying them all the way from St. John, Newfoundland. Yeah. You know, it's snowing. I should try them. And um, I tried them, and it was like, man, I should have put these on a long time ago. Oh, really? Yeah, actually, because when you're pedaling in the snow – that snow is just hitting your face. Yeah. Like, and you're squinting like, to see through it. Yes. And... Yeah. And you know what? Man, I honestly, I should have put them on a long time ago. And I didn't just because it's one of those things. I never wore them before. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just, yeah, I didn't. And, and I should. I mean, I, I have worn them a few times. I don't think I can say I got my money's worth out of them because I don't know how much more I'm yeah. going to have the like use them. I mean, well, I'm like, we're mid-March so we still have another you know one or two snowstorms yeah, at least sure. kind of deal so I'll, you know but that's do, do the snowstorm hit while I'm in the tent or while I'm pedaling I don't know but ski goggles are definitely if you're pedaling in the winter like in like when it snows mm -hmm. they're definitely a good thing but use them like yeah like use them because it will actually help if you yeah I, I should have used them way back and I just I just didn't I was just yeah. it's just one of those things I never wore them before and so I just didn't use them. I should have. Are you going to sell some of your stuff? Like uh, maybe get some people that host you along the way to sell it online and then just transfer you the money? Is that an idea towards getting rid of some of the kit? I haven't really thought about that. I'm not, I, you know what, it's a really good question. I don't know because this is the thing is we're mid-March and I'm in Ottawa. Either I switch gear in Toronto mm -hmm. or Winnipeg. Right. You know what I mean? Like the problem is, is once you're in Northern Ontario, I mean, who knows what the weather, I mean, even though we're at the end of winter, yeah. like who, you know what I mean? It, it's so, 
That's a good question. I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you know, I, I just don't know. And the question is, is where do I leave them or ship them? Like, I'm from Hamilton area, so I have people in Hamilton. Yeah. You know, but then when I get to Winnipeg, I actually have a brother that lives in, in northwestern Edmonton. Oh, okay. or, sorry, northwestern Alberta, like just yeah. northwest of Edmonton. You know, I mean, do I get to the Mac in Winnipeg and swap all my gear and then just ship my stuff to his place? Um, I honestly, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. I donated, I had a pair of snow pants that I never used. I actually donated them to my host in Ottawa. Okay. Uh, Few days ago, they were snow pants. I had been carrying them from Newfoundland. I never used them once, and I figured, well, if I've gone this far through winter, uh, snow pants. Uh, you know, even if, even if we get another storm or two, mm-hmm. you know, I pedaled through all the snowstorms without the snow pants. So yeah. those I get rid of, and I just I donated it to him. They were brand new, never never even worn. Wow. Oh, uh, they were, but they were also they were kind of a weird. It was something I wanted to see, try, see how it worked on the bike. But they were actually like I guess they call them chaps. They were just the legs. Okay. They weren't. They weren't like the mid-body section, so it was like just two leggings that, that went all the way up to your, all the way up to you, you clipped them onto your belt loop. Oh, okay. So I just thought, you know what, these are probably a little bit too funky for most people to want to buy, mm-hmm. so I just, I just gave them away, whatever. Fair enough. I guess I'm just thankful that in the in the end, I actually didn't have to use them. Like, that's the one thing is, is I have this winter gear that I paid for that I have never used, but I guess it's better that, like, I went the entire winter without having to use them. Yeah. Because if I had to use them, that would have meant the winter would have been that much harder yeah. kind of deal. So in one sense, I'm kind of glad for the winter gear that I did not use mm-hmm. just for the sake of yeah, a milder winter. Do you cook a lot? Uh, <laughs> actually, that's, that's funny you say that because um, I absolutely hate winter cooking. Um, I was going to ask you about how miserable is it winter cooking? Oh, it doesn't get any more miserable. Um, I'll do, <laughs> it's like I'll do just about anything. No, winter cooking, that's what I learned in this cold weather. It actually really, really sucks. Now, that being said, it wasn't so much in the cold weather. What happened, like, because, so I've only actually cooked four times so far. Okay. Three three times in in, in Newfoundland and one time in PEI. And Newfoundland wasn't so much the cold, it was just more the wind. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, with the wind, it is cold. And so, you know, I've got one of those MSR dragonflies. And so, you know, you got to hook the fuel pump up. You got, like, you got to take your hands off, your your hands out of your gloves. You got to pump the thing. You got to light it. Then you've got this wind. And um, I just discovered that cooking in cold just sucks. I mean, I don't know how people that camp regularly do it. Mm But I discovered that it sucks. I don't want to do it. I hate it. And at all costs, I avoid it. So you're looking forward to warmer weather so you can actually start cooking, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, because obviously, that's that's the flip side is, you know, trying trying to eat for less than $20 is is, is pretty darn hard, actually. Yeah. Um, about, like, your average meal, I mean, if you want to fill up, is like $20. So my meal ticket has been pretty expensive yeah and yes i am looking forward to trading in the restaurant uh, meals to cook for myself to save that money for sure yeah and you've been fortunate though i mean as like you said the east coast has been so great to you and i assume that part of that is because it's winter you get a really good oh, reception yes. from people like if it had been summer people are like oh there goes the cycle tours hey see you later yeah but- i would have i would have blended in with everyone else yeah no absolutely and that was the thing is 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 i mean 
when it comes to Atlantic Canada, I mean, like that one section of Nova Scotia, I did Nova Scotia in two sections, but that second section, I think it took me 28 days. I think I only camped four days of the entire nice. 28, yeah. only four. So I was eating a lot of meals in people's homes, which was saved me a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is between Tim Horton's gift cards and actual cash, people actually gave me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Yeah, people just want to help, right? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I finally used my last Tim. I finished up my last Tim Hortons card in, in Quebec City that was handed to me in, I'm guessing, I think, New Brunswick. Yeah, and in New Brunswick. Yeah, I got a gift card in St. John, New Brunswick, uh, a $50 gift card, yeah. and I think I finally used it up in Quebec City or something. I don't know. But, yeah, but yeah, looking forward to cooking, looking forward to cooking so I can save myself some money. Talk us through um, your next portion of the route. Where are you heading uh, from here? I know you said you're going down towards Toronto, Kingston, or Kingston and Toronto and stuff. Um, what's your route across Canada? Yeah, so from Ottawa, I um, am heading to Brockville, I guess. It was... Um, okay. I have an aunt that lives in Kingston, mm-hmm. and um, it was suggested to me because of traffic to take the route that kind of brings you to Brockville. Okay. Uh, head to Brockville from Ottawa, and then... You know, then the plan is basically to follow Highway 2 all the way. Um, and so, yeah, so then I'll go into Kingston. Yeah, that's um, a good route. And then from Kingston, yeah, I'll just follow Highway 2. My brother, his in-laws are from Brighton. I'm actually, believe it or not, I don't know. I have to reach out. There's, I, I would like to meet someone in Peterborough, possibly. Mm-hmm. I may actually, like, go straight up to Peterborough. I, okay. I haven't reached out to this person. He doesn't know that I'm not that he's listening to this or or. I may go up to Peterborough, but that's just only been a recent potential decision to do. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the plan was basically to follow Highway 2 all the way to Hamilton. And then uh, because being from the Hamilton area, got a you know few people I'd like to visit or whatever that mm-hmm. you know they're mm-hmm. expecting me to visit and whatnot. So follow Highway 2 to Burlington and then basically head to Northern Ontario. If that Tobamori Ferry was running... When does it start running? I believe it starts running May 5th. Okay. I don't have a problem with Northern Ontario, of course. I would actually wouldn't mind doing it. But between PEI and Nova Scotia, I added 1,300 kilometers mm-hmm. that I was not anticipating. Like, I should be in Thunder Bay right now. Yeah. We should be doing this, we should be doing this podcast from Thunder Bay. I'm in Ottawa. Not from uh, 10 kilometers away. <laughs> yeah. And so, and it's not like I'm upset about being behind because the experiences have been worth it. The investment of time has been well worth it. Yeah. But... There is a point where it's like, you know, if there is a way to maybe cut some mileage out to just sort of get me back on track, it's probably not a bad idea. And it sort of seems like if I could cut out a good piece of northern Ontario, then probably not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is, is I think by the time I get to Hamilton and leave Hamilton, I think it will still be too early to even consider that ferry. So I, I have a feeling that, yeah, I've I have to go through Northern Ontario, which is which is okay. That's that's fine. I don't mind that. Um, towards Winnipeg, mm-hmm. there is another. Actually, there is another add-on that uh, here. I just finished talking about how I'm trying to maybe cut some mileage, and now I'm probably going to add a little bit of mileage. Right now, it looks pretty good. That I think from Winnipeg, I'm actually going to go up to the Paw. To the where? To the Paw. What is that? Basically, that's north. Okay. Of Winnipeg. It's, I think it's oh, yeah, I see it. Wow, that's way up yeah. there. Well, because the thing was, is my initial plan was to go Winnipeg to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And it was on, you know, some guys said, like, that's just the worst way to go. And then it's like, well, if I go Winnipeg, Calgary to Edmonton, you know, it's like, well, 
you know, I, I wouldn't mind going to Calgary, and maybe if I go to Calgary, maybe I'd do it on my way south. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've got I've got the paw in, in my sights, I think, because if I went if I went Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, I think I could pretty much do Winnipeg, the paw to to Edmonton. So are you going to go from the paw? Will you keep going north through Northwest Territories and come back south, or you'll just cut cut west <laughs> yeah, from there? Come I, on, man. The way it happened was is I was in the hostel in Quebec City or Montreal, one of the two places. Okay. And they had this map on the wall with via rail. And it, and it showed the train up to um, Churchill. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, man, that would be, you know, this is a once in a lifetime. Like, when, when, when am I going to get a chance to go to Churchill? Yeah. And it's like, it's only like 230 bucks one way. So it, it is like a $500 train ride return. But then you've also got your other expenses. And anyways, it just sort of made me look at that area. And I don't think I'm going to go to Churchill because it sounds like the time of year by the time I get there. Not that it wouldn't be cool, but... I don't know if it would be, you know, it's not exactly the time to go for anything particular. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is what it did do is it got me looking at the map of northern Manitoba just to look at kind of the options. Yeah. In 2011, I, I did the, you know, I went up to Northwest Territories, up to Yellowknife and whatnot. So I did, and, and most, and half of the Northwest Territories or even more than half, is just gravel road. Yeah. And so I do kind of have a bit of, a, I don't want to say experience, but I I mean, I, I've, I've kind of done some of that, you know, middle of nowhere, and, it, and I actually I kind of enjoyed it. So when I saw the, the paw on the map, it's like, wow, that was, it was almost too tempting not to. And so I kind of feel like for what it's worth, it's like, I think I'm going to go up to the paw. Cool. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure that there are cyclists that have done it, but it's like, yeah. do you know any cyclists that have gone up to the paw? No. Exactly. So to me, that's that's a good enough reason just in and of itself. Yeah. How much longer do you think you'll be in Canada for? Well, my plan was to try to get to Vancouver by the end of summer, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> Why is that good or bad? I don't, I don't know. know. I think now, well, now, like you were saying, your original plan, you figured you'd be in Thunder Bay by now. So that, that makes it a big difference. But yeah, yeah. so that might be hard to yeah. do from this point. Because um, yeah. the other the other aspect, the other thing is, though, is like I said, I'm, I'm kind of committed just because of the way this ride has evolved. I'm kind of committed to really taking every opportunity I can to meet with local Canadians. Yeah. Like I even added to my webpage. Um, I'm still working on the content, but if you go to like my homepage and you go under my blogs, you'll see photos of all the people that yeah, I've yeah. interacted with. So like I said, all the photos are there and they're all chronological, but now what I need to do is I need, cause I just did this like a few days or well, about a week ago. Now what I need to do is I need to add to the content to put a story to all the, yeah. the different interactions. But um, now your website's pretty cool. I like it, I li- and I like your write-ups about each of the provinces and the things. Like, and I see that there's room for that to grow too. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, I, I think I probably spend almost thirty hours a week documenting, literally, between editing photos, writing, blogging, Facebook, uploading photos. It just it's putting full time job. Huh? I, I should actually just keep track for the sake of it, just for a week or two, just yeah. to see what it is. But I, I honestly, I feel. I feel like I spend about 30 hours right now. I don't know how that's going to work moving forward because part of the reason I do 30 hours is because I try not to pedal in the dark, which means usually I'm at a Tim Hortons between 6 and 7 o'clock at night, and then I, I work for three, four hours till, like I said, till like 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. It's very rare for me to be in my tent before 11.30. As it gets dark later, um, that means I'm going to be pedaling a lot further, which means I'm going to be a lot less time to that's be able right. to dock. So it should be interesting to see how all that plays out. 
not to mention that I've just recently connected with someone who's really interested in um, working with my YouTube channel. Because see, video is my I'm very intimidated by video, mm -hmm. and so I do very little in the in the way of video in YouTube. But I've recently met someone who's actually pretty excited about seeing what he could possibly do with my oh, YouTube cool. channel. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, which is pretty exciting. The only thing is, is now on top of my current thirty hours, now I've got to go do video GoPro footage and then send it to him. And yeah, and, and it's very time consuming putting that into the cloud. Yeah, um, depending on your internet speed. There's a there's a good there's a good transfer. In, uh, in a, you can transfer large size files with. I think it's called. Um, I'll send you a link of the file program I use, but it basically gives a person seven days to download it. Okay. So if you send it to them, it sends a link, and then they it has uploaded it, sends them a link, and then they have seven days to download it before it clears off their system. So as long as your person downloads, then okay. it's uh, you don't have to be wasting a ton of storage in the cloud and stuff, and that person has all your stuff. Oh, wow. So I'll send yeah. you it. It's, um, yeah. I forget what it's called offhand, but yeah, I'll check it out, and I'll send you a link. Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. I appreciate that. Have you got any sponsorships? That's funny. <laughs> no, I have actually had a few conversations about not with potential sponsors, yeah. but with people that have kind of you know inquired about that. You know, so my initial thing when it came to sponsorship was well, first of all, I haven't done anything to earn anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I may have I may have claimed that I was gonna you know bike through the winter, but claiming to do it and doing it you know what i mean like even though yeah. i knew in my i you know even though i knew i was going to do it doesn't mean that the person on the other end of the phone or the other end of the email is going to believe me so in one sense you know i haven't earned anything you know at the yeah. time of starting i hadn't earned anything i mean now i guess you could say you know i've done 4600 kilometers throughout the winter so i mean i guess i've i've you know i've earned a bit of credibility now yeah. and then the other thing was is in the beginning you know, with having no bike, no website, no gear, working 80 hours a week, I mean, not to make this sound kind of weird, but it's like I had more money than I had time. And so I don't, I didn't have the time to go through the hoops and write the letters yeah. and wait for, it's like basically it was, I had, you know, I had X amount I could handle in a given day, do the research, make a decision, move on. Do, yeah. You know, next thing, do the research, make a decision, move on. And that was the 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 most valuable thing you had was time and you had none of it <laughs> yeah oh yeah no i had because in a truck i was working 14 hours a day basically our company was i was lucky our company would pay for a hotel room if we were on the road mm -hmm. over the weekend because by law you have to shut down for 36 hours so i would check into a hotel in some city across america at 9:30 p.m. on a saturday night after a very stressful 80-hour work week, and then I would check out Monday morning at 9.30 a.m. to do another 80-hour. Okay. So my window to do what I did was so small, and then on top of that, I was doing a bunch, of, I did a fair amount of Facebook promotion through the different various bike groups. Yep. Like, what I pulled off, in all honesty, I mean, not to pat myself on the shoulder, but literally oh, what yeah, I pulled off was just nothing but short of a miracle. Like literally to, to be to be able to do what I did. And it was weird because 2019, for me, from January 1st, everything went completely in my life went sideways. Everything. All of a sudden things started going crappy at work. I was having issues with my fiance at the time. Personal work, everything went sideways. And then the engagement collapsed. And then I bought my bike June 5th. Yeah. From the day I bought my bike, every single thing came together 
perfectly. Wow. Every nice. single, in fact, I was planning December 31st. That's what I was going to ask you. It was one of my questions. Is you actually planned December 31st? Why you moved it up? Because everything came together so quickly, so smoothly. I, I was just, I don't know what it was, and I'm not like an expert at anything. You know, I just identified my three big issues. You know, I did very, very quick research, made a decision, moved on. And everything just Everything just came to it was so crazy. The only thing that ever went sideways, the only thing that ever went sideways on this whole ride was the Saturday that my parents were going to drive me to the Nova Scotia ferry to bring me to, that would bring me to, to Newfoundland. Five minutes before my dad shows up with a U-Haul trailer for all my gear, I get an email notification from the ferry that the Saturday night ferry crossing was canceled due to weather. Ah. So I would have to leave Sunday morning instead of Saturday night. That is the only thing that went sideways in the entire planning of this ride. In those whole six uh, months, yeah? Well, no, like since, since last June. Okay. Since last June, the only thing that went sideways, and I mean, what's that? A ferry crossing Sunday, Sunday morning instead of Saturday night. Like that is the most ridiculous thing that could have, you know, it just, but that's it. And so, but yeah, no, I originally, because the thing is, is it's, it's May 16th. I'm about to go to bed. It's like my bike ride is obviously going to happen. I have the whole thing planned in my head that if I work hard enough that I can get this all together. Cause I did have one, I have one priority being in a truck for six and a half years. I hadn't done a Christmas. I hadn't done a family Christmas that whole time. Okay. So I, I needed to be in Prince Edward Island for Christmas for my parents. Cause I didn't know when that next Christmas would ever come if it yeah. does. So that was my priority. So I figured if I work my butt off that I could get everything in place, quit my job, get to the island for Christmas Day, and then get on a plane December 28th or 29th to St. John, and then start the 31st or whatever. Mm -hmm. That was the plan. And then bought the bike June 5th, and then everything came together so quickly, so smoothly, that all of a sudden I realized, hold on, I think I can pull this off earlier. Because one of my biggest fears was Newfoundland in the middle of winter yeah because there's only one way there's only the trans canada what if they get their 10 feet of snow but what would happen if i'm halfway down the trans canada highway and the rcmp sees me and pulls me over going what the heck are you doing mm -hmm. it's like you know and he says like dude do you know how dangerous this is and do you know how dangerous like you're a danger to cars you're da no we're, you're, we're pulling you then what yeah. do i do yeah because the thing is is there's no other way through newfoundland like all of a sudden i'm i'm, I'm euchred on my on my first leg yeah yeah and so if I could get through, you know, could, and obviously no cop is going to give me a hard time in November kind of deal. So I thought, so how early do I have to leave St. John to get to PI for Christmas? And I figured November 15th. Oh, and sweet. so that became my new goal. And then I even actually could push it further a few more days, but with my parents' schedule and getting me to the ferry and then having to get from the ferry to Port of Bass and then taking the DRL bus to St. John. Basically, uh, by the time I got to St. John, it was uh, November 12th. Well, I got there November 11th at Monday night at like 9.30. Yeah. And then I kind of consider November 12th my official start day because that day I pedaled up to Cape Spear and back to get some photos for the first day and yeah. spent a few days in St. John's. So How far is it to Cape Spear from St. John's? Um, I think it's between 18 and 20 kilometers. Oh, it's not far at all, huh? Well, and I'll tell you, though, that was physically the hardest day of my entire life. Why is that? Hands down. Well, this is the thing. It's because I, you know, people ask, well, did you train this and that? And it's like, I had no time for nothing yeah. at all. Basically, well, the way it worked is, like I said, my dad pulled up a U-Haul trailer to bring me to North Sydney. We actually ended up going to friends in English Town Saturday night because, like, he brought the trailer Saturday morning, so we still mm -hmm. left. 
And then what happened was, is we spent the night in English Town. So Sunday morning, they bring me to the ferry. And for all intent and purposes, this was the first time that I loaded my bike with my gear because I had no time. Okay. It was a, everything was a race. So I load my bike for the very first time at the ferry. And my parents are standing behind me with their phone to take a picture, you know, waving me goodbye, good luck on your yeah. 55,000 three-year cross cannon, the winter bike ride. And I pushed my bike five feet and I went, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, this is too heavy, I'm dead, I'm dead. I was actually too scared to get on the bike. Really, yeah? Oh yeah, I was too scared to get on the bike. I thought if I get on the bike, I'm just going to fall right over. But anyway, so what I did is, yeah, they're waving and I just sort of pushed my bike to the terminal door. I go inside. They give me the instructions of where to go, and I and I push my bike all the way to my lane. Mm. Um, and then when it was time to load, I, I pushed my bike onto the ferry, and then when we got to Port of Bass, I pushed my bike off the ferry. Gotcha. I was too scared. I was too scared to push my bike or to get on my bike in front of anyone. It was too heavy. And then so when I actually did Cape Spear, because I, I already knew that I was going to be in St. John for a few days because I wanted it. I never when, – when am I going to get to St. John again in my life? This mm -hmm. is the first time I've been there. So – and I wanted to take some photos and stuff. So basically what I did though is I loaded my panniers onto my bike. I left the trailer in the hostel, but I, I took the panniers. I put them on the bike because I wanted some photos of my bike you know, in Cape Spear yeah. loaded. Well, it's all mountains. It's all mountains. Is it? It's all mountains. It's all it's all uphill to get to Cape Spear. And I you know, I tell people I will never admit how many times I stopped, how many times I had to take a break, how many times I had to push my bike. It was totally embarrassing. Honestly, physically the hardest day of my entire life. Wow. But this was the thing. You know, so I got there and I got back and by the time I got back it was well into dark, um, well into night. And, you know, I'm up on top of the hill and all the lights of St. John's yeah. are below me and I felt good. I, I felt good. And I thought, man, if I just had physically the hardest day of my entire life and I feel good, then that was enough confidence to get me to Trans-Canada in the next day or two. Awesome. Yeah, because then, then what I did is I, then I spent the next day in the city biking. I left all my gear because it was literally an in-city tour. I think I paddled like 20, 30 kilometers or actually I might even, yeah, 20, 30, 40, I got 20, 30 kilometers just in the mm -hmm. city taking photos of in the city. And then the next day is when I officially left the hostel and, and that's when it was completely loaded. And yeah, the first five minutes I was, I was, I was scared crapless, but I made it through the first five minutes yeah. and then, then I, I followed this road that followed the, paralleled the highway and then eventually I had to get on the highway. But then right there was where the Trans-Canada basically started and it was like well I'm on the Trans Canada and then fast forward I think it was like about two and a half weeks it took me to cross Newfoundland um, I did 98 kilometers uh, to the ferry the second last day I did 92 kilometers and the last day okay. I did 98 to the ferry so I did 190 kilometers last two days in Newfoundland wow, and, and nice. two and a half weeks earlier I was too scared to get on the bike <laughs> time of how your body adapts and changes huh oh yeah 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 I mean I had to push I mean you know, especially in the beginning, it's fairly hill. Like, I mean, there is a little bit of an area in the center where it does flatten out a little bit, mm -hmm. but not really much. But it was not unusual to push my bike over three to four mountains uh, every day. Yeah. And it was so be it, whatever. Yeah. I did it. You know, I'm here. I'm in Ottawa. Have you seen any other bike tours? Oh, no, no, no. No, not yet, huh? <laughs> no, no. Maybe starting um, soon, like as soon as it starts warming up by May, maybe. Yeah. There's a guy that met me, like, you know, once again, just, just the people following me and the, yeah. just the... Uh, Amazing experiences. There's a guy named Pascal uh, in Montreal. He's actually from France. Um, he's actually waiting just 
for about another month for warmer temperatures to start crossing Canada. Okay. Uh, we actually, he took me out on a four-hour walking door of Montreal, but he's just waiting about a month or so, and he's going to he's gonna cross Canada and then head to uh, Mexico. Sweet. But I also told a lot of, a lot of uh, my Atlantic Canada hosts, I said, don't be surprised if you start seeing more cyclists out here now. Yeah. Because that's the thing, right? It's like, I'm sure you're familiar with the bike wanderer, right? Yeah. Johan? Yeah. Yeah. Well, his part one and part two uh, series, you know, on the Dempster, I mean, that was just mind blowing. Yeah. And the minute I saw that, all of a sudden the possibilities opened up. Mm -hmm. It's weird how you don't think about things until you see them. And, you know, once I saw his videos, it was like, oh my goodness, this is possible. Yeah. And so it's almost like until you see it actually being done, it's like, it's kind of the permission you need that you can now do this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously there is a few people that have, you know, that are familiar and aware of, of what I've done and, and whatnot. And they're going to go, wow, this is doable. Yeah. I suspect that, you know, in particular Atlantic Canada, you know, I mean, full disclosure, I got lucky with the weather. Uh, you could show up and it could be 10 feet of snow, but I got a feeling that there's going to be quite a few people that are going to probably attempt what I did simply because, you know, just watching oh, how not, the right? response kind of deal. So haven't seen anyone yet, but um, I think in coming years, it'll be a little bit more common than, than it was, that's for sure. Yeah. So on that note, who are some of the uh, YouTubers or bloggers that have had an impact on you with regards to your prep planning and whatnot, motivation? I would say the bike wanderer, Johan. Mm -hmm. Thing is, is because I am so busy with my own documenting, I don't get a lot of time to do a whole lot of reading, a whole lot of, you know, following of this or that. Yeah. But, you know, ever since I saw Johan's first videos, I just, that was just mind boggling. And so I've pretty much kept up to date with his videos. Mm -hmm. I mean, I follow probably at least 35 bike groups. Mm -hmm. And so I try to, you know, I mean, so I do come across certain feeds that are, you know, if they're of interest. So basically, Johan, bike groups on Facebook. And then the other two was, I mean, so in the truck, I used to listen to a tremendous amount of podcasts. Yeah, no doubt. I would listen to sometimes nine, 10 hours worth of podcasts a day. Um, now, a lot of that was business oriented and Tim Ferriss and whatnot mm -hmm. kind of deal. I came across Bike Pack Canada way back. That's where I actually found out about K-Light. I found out about the bar mitts. Uh, yeah, they've been going for a while. Yeah, I had to catch up. I think it was maybe only about a little bit over a year ago that I discovered them. So... But with listening to podcasts for eight hours a day, it didn't take long to get fairly, to basically get caught yeah. up with that podcast. And I was actually just on that podcast just a few weeks ago. They just released uh, the other week. So that was pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, I saw your post. And then I, and then I, came, across your, I came across your podcast only recently. And I have a feeling it probably had to do with when I was promoting on the bike groups. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm not, I, you know, I don't recall because I don't even really remember how I came across the bike. It was probably just the, the, the various groups, but I came across your podcast and I really enjoyed it because it was the long distance because that's the one thing like bike pack Canada really isn't. It's more about racing, which is not yeah. my thing. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the podcast and I loved being on it, but I actually really loved your podcast because it was all, all long distance. The only, there was only two things. One was I only had recently discovered it. So I was only able to listen to so many of them. Yeah. And the other thing, well, for me was most of your podcasts, at least the ones I kept running into was all Southeast Asia. Yeah. There's a lot of that. So now I'm trying to, trying to branch it out slowly. That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's like, it's like I enjoyed them, but it's like, ah, this does not, I have no, I have at this stage, it's, I don't have any plans of, of, of 
bike packing out that or biking touring out that way. Yeah. And so, yeah, most of yours were Southeast Asia. Yeah, I started it out there. So it was t- it kind of like when I started yeah. it, all my interviews were people I knew or had interacted oh, with. So, oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. You, yeah. you're, when, you, when you start a podcast, you're also, you're, the day one, you're looking for the low-hanging fruit. So yeah. it's, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's, a, it's a given. Yeah. But see, now this is the thing, though, is see, because of the cold and because I have an iPhone and the battery is, sucks in the cold, I have not been able to listen to podcasts generally since I've started this bike ride. So I basically haven't been listening to podcasts yeah. since um, since the end of October. So I am I am literally 10,000 hours behind in podcasts. So I haven't been able to listen to, to any podcasts uh, for the most part. But, yeah. but anyways, like I said, so Bike Wander, Bike Groups, Bike Pack Canada, and then of course your podcast. There's a few other bike podcasts out there, mm-hmm. but I, I would definitely say, yeah, between you, you, you and, and Bike Pack Canada, you guys, you guys are my favorites. Just Bike Pack Canada because they're Canadian, of course, yeah. and you more so in a way just because you're long distance, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're long t- distance touring. So yeah. you're filling a niche that uh, that I really like. Sweet, um, thanks for that. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to when the warm weather hits to to start listening to yours. Um, uh, very regular. I was going to tell you this uh, when I was when I was in Montreal at the uh, the bike expo. I, I ran across a, one of one of the stands was a Canadian guy out of Quebec who who makes like winter cycling gear, and he created this like body harness. You know, like you see ski expedition people that like they have their walkie talkie on their chest where it keeps warm. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he's like, yeah, I designed it so it straps on, and when I'm on my fat bike, the battery doesn't die as fast because it's close to my warm body. And I was like, that's ah. really cool. And he just gave me one. He's like, talk about it. Like, I've used it a few times. It's pretty sweet. Like, I put it over the jacket, under the jacket, various places. Um, yeah, usually my phone is just in my pocket, and it does pretty good. But that's yeah. the thing is, is I mean, I have I have battery pack. I mean, I, I'm charging my phone right now as we yeah. speak on it. Battery, but this is, I don't really want this in my pocket. If I, I mean, I, I've had to put it in my pocket sometimes, yeah. but... I don't really want. Yeah, this thing's got two sleeves, so it's. I guess you could have like your phone and your battery charger and whatever. Um, It's called. It's made by a company called Blivit, and I think his this one's called the Body B O D D I. So it's um. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty. Truthfully, if 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 I can help it, I I don't plan to ever need something like that again. I would I would have loved something like that. That's. I'll show it to you tomorrow. I'll probably wear it with me just to to keep my phone handy and. Yeah. But anyways, um, where can people find out more about you if they want to follow you, uh, follow along on your adventures and um, see what you're up to? Well, the website is safariari.ca, and the Ari is A-R-I-E, so safariari.ca, and uh, safariari on Facebook, very active on Facebook. I, I have a lot, of, obviously, like a lot of the, my followers are, are Canadian, a lot of them are from Atlantic Canada, and they're actually pretty passionate. It's it's interesting how if someone gets a little bit negative, how quickly people jump on them for yeah. getting negative, this and that. And, you know, I just, I do have this attitude that if people take time to send me a message, then in the very least, I should acknowledge them. I mean, depending on the message, if it's a, if it's a message of stay safe, stay warm, you know, then I'll just, I'll acknowledge it with a like. But I do get a lot of people that, you know, they actually take some time. I've got one guy, when he messages me, a lot of times it's 100, 200, 300 words. Nice. So, you know, if, yeah. So when people, when people take the time to message me, then I feel like I should, the least I can do is take the time to return the messages and whatnot. And so I do, you know, for me, it is important to, to, to respond to Mm -hmm. people that are investing time into, into my ride 
following it, whatnot. So yeah, I'm very, very active on, on Facebook. It's really nice when you get a message from people. Like, I mean, even the podcast, I don't get too, too many. I, I don't get really any negative ones, which is great because yeah. I think I yeah. feel like you said such a specific niche that the people who, who like it are going to like it. And if they yes. don't, they're probably not going to listen to it more than five yes. minutes and then log off. Yes. So that's a really nice feeling, but there's been places like somebody commented, they're like, can you make your website to have an audio file on each page that reads the blog too? Because and I'm like, man, I have to pay for that service. I've, I've looked up some ways to do it. And I'm like, I, I don't have time either, you know? So I felt really, yeah. that's the only time I ever felt bad that I couldn't fulfill somebody's wish. Yep. They said, I like yep. your blogs, but I have eye problems and this and that. Can you do it? So there's listening. Yeah, no, I, I do. Um, I think, I mean, I've been on the road 120 days or a little mm-hmm. bit less. I think I've got probably 80 plus blogs. Yeah. And I mean, there is, there is a little bit more. I mean, some of it's, some of it's literally related to the day to day writing. Some of it is just, is literally bike specific blog. Um, some of it is, uh, I actually do poetry. I do, uh, and the other, it's just so I, I do a different, I do, you know, there is different categories of, yeah. of my blogs, that's for sure. But I mean, I've done about 80 blogs. I do actually spend quite a bit of time writing, but you know, the blogs ultimately are always shared to the, uh, to, to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I'm very, very active on Facebook, always, always posting. But yeah, Safari Ari on Facebook or safariari.ca is the website. Perfect. Yeah, I think I came across you before you even started your tour, I had message, hey, when you get to Ottawa. Uh, but it's really cool, like how technology can just make those barriers and distances seem so close, you know, like it was yeah. months before you even started or a couple months maybe. And yeah, like, yeah, no, actually, I, I do. Rem- I do remember that. I do remember the message. Yeah, I remember that was that was before I even started. And it's pretty neat how that can happen. And it, it wouldn't have that, that kind of thing wouldn't have happened maybe 10 years ago, you know, so yeah. Yeah. The world has yeah. changed. But anyways, Ari, really want to thank you for taking your time today. I know this was a oh. long interview. It was almost two hours long, but I think it's wow. interesting. And uh, yeah. time flies when you're having fun, huh? Oh, yeah. No, it's <laughs> awesome. I loved it. I loved it. And uh, we'll be in touch. And uh, I'll shoot you a message after this. And we'll, we'll coordinate things for tomorrow because uh, I got to yeah. get out of this house. I'm going freaking nuts. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, yeah, just stay tuned. It should be posted in the next two, three weeks. Awesome. Later. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Once again, I just want to thank Ari for taking the time to be on this show and to share his story with us. It's pretty amazing to think of someone cycling across Canada in the middle of winter, and he's successfully done it. It's now spring. Unfortunately, in the few weeks since we recorded our episode, he's had to hold up in Kingston, which is uh, about 200 kilometers west of here along the St. Lawrence River. He's just staying with some relatives while waiting for the coronavirus epidemic to calm down. In the next episode of Bike Tour Adventures, I have the chance to speak with Ian Finley. In August of 2018, he loaded up his bike with everything he'd need to finally take a gap year and cycle around the world. Old enough to appreciate it and young enough to do it by bike. Having never cycled, toured, filmed, photographed, or blogged, Ian decided he would learn as he goes and through these media, he would share his endless summer. Tune in next time on Bike Tour Adventures. I want to end my show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I receive from you regularly. It really motivates me to keep going with this project and to share people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or go to www.biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and my new touring tips page which is slowly getting created. I'll also be integrating the Touring Talk podcast episodes into the Touring Tips section so you can listen to or read on whatever topics you like. 
If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can also become one of my show supporters by going to www.patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. Much appreciated and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. <laughs>